right. Let's see. Good. The mic is working today. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm just setting up the last couple of things here, if you'll bear with me. Got everything up and running for today. First time I've been able to stream Merge Worlds in a month, so I would like to begin by apologizing for that. Um, fortunately, the last month has been a bit hectic, and uh, some things have come up that unfortunately have caused me to have to cancel Merged Worlds twice in a row, and and I apologize for that. Everything seems to be pretty resolved now. We should be back. Oh, candy bars in the way. We should be back and uh, back on schedule. More Merge World story. Uh, story will continue to come out. Uh, and then, so uh, last week we did Behind the Dice. A lot of fun. Had a lot of good conversations there. So I'm excited to get back into the story. Um, I know several of our regular folks aren't able to make it this evening. Hopefully they're out there doing okay. See them again tomorrow. Uh, so those of you who did show up, thank you for coming by. Had a good time. Anytime at the point, it'd be awesome if you'd consider hitting the like button, uh, subscribing on the YouTube channel, or giving us a follow on iTunes or Spotify. It's also available as the audio podcast. All right. So it's uh, it's been a small bit since we talked to Merge the World. So I'm going to do a little bit more in-depth uh, catch-up, if I will. So uh, today... We're going to be dealing with the artist's side of the picture. Um, artists, I, I, I reference the artist side a lot as the artist side. Uh, I do want to do a little bit of clarification there. Beards all over the place. Uh, I wanted to uh, do some clarification on the uh, on that real quick. So I I, 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 I feel that I've been potentially. Uh, giving off a bit of the wrong vibe for the artist side of the group by calling it that. Uh, in no way do I want to imply that artist is the only character there, uh, because she's not, obviously. And each of the characters in that group are as important as the others, for sure. Um, but artist is, for all intents and purposes, the de facto leader of that group. Whether she likes it or not, that's the role she's been thrust into. Um, and very often, when I talked about the original characters, I refer to them as Mercy's group or Darsh's group. Because I always saw them a bit more of the leader type who'd step up to make decisions when they were made. Not that Artemis or Dandy were ever left out or told what to do, that kind of thing. Obviously, they're all just as important. Um, but very often, Mercy had that role, and, and that's kind of fallen to artists as well. As for the other group, Seraph's story makes sense because that's kind of what everybody's based around. All of this really is Seraph's story. Everyone else is a, a big part of it. So the last thing we kind of talked about with artists is they were traveling north to the kingdom of Caradon um, in Miss Dandelion, a ship that used to belong to Dandy and that Darsh had sent to assist them on their travels. They had... Uh, Taken a temporary stop. Wife, <laughs> drop us some treats for Mr. Midnight. You see back there in the kitty chair. Uh, those of you who are watching the video, um, they stopped in the town of uh, Varugan, which uh, very kind of Vikingish style and very snow icy area. Um, and they befriended locals, the locals. Um, but uh, there was one member of that community who lived kind of off on his own who 
the locals kind of considered bad luck. Something off about the guy. Been that way ever since he'd returned from the kingdom of Caradon, which is where they're headed, of course. So some of them went to go talk to him, and then some of them went to go and procure some supplies and stuff for the ship. And both Petal and Maeve were not with them. Artis ran Kip, their friend. Um, they were attacked by the gentleman in his home. Elves uh, defeat the man. Very, very well. <laughs> he didn't last real long. I mean, it wasn't wasn't meant to be a hard fight. But it did take him out. That's kind of where their story ended off. We're going to begin today with a little bit of that aftermath, uh, and then entering into Caradon. Now, why were they headed to Caradon? Artis has a magical artifact that she brought with her. That itself is an it's an intelligent artifact. Quintius is its name, and they just refer him to as Quint very often, which he doesn't like, by the way. <laughs> refer to him to Quint, and only artists can see him, hear him. There, obviously. He does not have physical effect on the world. So, uh, he came to them and said, hey, given basically a message from the gods that... You need to go north to this kingdom of Caradon because if you don't, bad stuff is going to befall your friends, your family, your kingdom. That um, is literally an artifact that has been partially created by the gods and has been around a very long time. And while he does not know the danger up there, he does know some information, basically able to give them some of the story of why all of this was coming into play. Because if you remember, all this is based around the the prophecy of Seraph and Seraph ran off to try and save Dina and many of course the main characters Artemis Dandy Darcy Mercy after speaking with future Deacon were aware of why and what was kind of going on here Quintius had some of that information as well so they're now aware of this game of the gods that Seraph is kind of the linchpin of all this, but that others, the gods themselves, have chosen their own players in this game. And uh, potentially, some of that, those folks will be out messing up and potentially uh, doing things to hurt Seraph's side through, uh, anyways, right? What, what does that mean by hurting Seraph's side? Destroying Serenity, killing his parents, right? That's going to have an effect on the guy, right? Uh, so there's that kind of a thing. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but I'll give an example. Um, try to corrupt him one way or another. Get him to make the wrong choice in that moment where his choice means everything. Knowing this, the uh, artists, Maeve, Petal, and Rand decide uh, to take Quintius's, the artifacts, the magical scepter, take his uh, vice. And they break off their search for Seraph and Mugen, and instead um, decide to heed that warning and go north to find out what else. There's something up there that could negatively be affecting the future. They they need to stop that now while it's stoppable. Hello, Michael. Yes, yeah, stealing his girlfriend. That's a good example. Very good example of something that could cause problems with him, right? Yeah. 
but, you know, things along those lines. So uh, they've been heading north for weeks, and they're finally not too far away from Caradon when they had the little adventure in Varugan that I mentioned a moment ago. Soon after that, that was where we're going to take on. And today's story is going to be very... It's all this group. I'm not switching over to Seraph's group. Yet, I may not even see it next week. Um, or next stream. When we get to Seraph's story next, uh, there's a chunk that's going to happen that's going to take a little while that I really can't break up. So, um, once we do get to him, we'll be with him for a while. So, we're going to do these guys' side just a little while. At least... All this episode, and at least half, if not all, of next episode. So, Caradon it is. A little bit of reading to get started, then after that it's more. So, um, the Miss Dandelion could see the port in the distance. They had finally reached Caradon. The last nine days had been a challenge. Artists had thought the citizens of Arugan would be upset with what had happened, but were surprised when no one seemed to care. Perhaps it was because the man had already been ostracized by his people, or the fact that his people commonly solved issues by violence. Either way, no one held them responsible of any wrongdoing. They just killed this guy. They say, hey, he attacked us, we killed him, and they're like, yeah, that seems about right, he seemed off. Okay. And th that was it. No one, no rest, no trial, no nothing. They had the opportunity to search the man's home and were shocked by what they discovered. The home had been uh, sparsely decorated, having little more than the essentials. He had a single large chest that he used to hold clothes and personal effects. It had been Kip who discovered the hidden false bottom. Within, they'd found candles, incense, and other items used in worship. It was clear he'd been a follower of a dark god, though the only parchment in the chest was faded and contained symbols no one recognized. But they don't know which god. And that's the thing. You know, the, so this is very common stuff. Even the candles, the incense, even... Artists and Maeve would have the same type of stuff um, for the worship of theirs. Even Petal's magic was of no help. So Petal, Petal and artists had spent hours trying to decipher the parchment, but had no luck. Even Quintius couldn't make nothing of it, though he did confirm it held dark magic. Petal was particularly frustrated. She felt that magic was her job, now that they finally needed her, and she was of no use. You can imagine her taking that personally. I mean, she's in the fights and doing the stuff, but now here's a here's a magical thing in front of them. And even though it's clerical, they can look at this stuff and assume it's clerical. She still feels like she should be able to get something out of it, but she doesn't recognize anything. Ran and Kip had been uh, sparring and training together. Ran had been pleasantly surprised by how well Kip had handled, handled himself in that battle. Kip had laughed and said he picked up quite a few skills in his many, many years. Ran was still easily the better fighter, but he found Kip's self-trained style chaotic and challenging. It was Maeve who grew to worry about what lie ahead. She'd not been there to help her friends in Valrugan, and had become protective of them, even the two men. She promised herself they'd never have to fight without her again. You could imagine that as well of Maeve. She's very the protector type. She's the by far the largest one there. She's the paladin, the big armored one. She's, for all intents and purposes, the one that should be the tank, the one out front taking the brunt of the attack. Her and Petal were off shopping, and they, her friends got attacked. She was not there to help. And while they were able to take care of themselves, you know, she's only hearing it from their side. In her mind, she you know, imagine if they barely survive kind of thing. It's something that weighs on her heavily. 
Now, as their ship finally made their way to a clear space in the, in the harbor, all thoughts were on what they may find here. They easily berthed their ship in the harbor, and once they'd paid the fees, were free to disembark. Like most port towns, this one had a busy harbor. It appeared most of the ships were smaller local boats, with no sign of any type of merchant vessel. Even the Miss Dandelion, being considered a smaller ship itself, still managed to be the same or larger than any other ship in port. It was clear they were considered by the locals to be quite the spectacle, as more and more arrived to watch them. Everyone they saw were human, though they all seemed pleasant when spoken to. When Artis and Maeve disembarked, the attitude of the locals changed to wonder. Several rushed forward to welcome them. This was the town of Bellany, and it was a very old town by human standards. Many of the buildings were several hundred years old, with a mixture of wood and stone architecture that gave the village a natural and rustic look. Most people appeared commonly dressed, but well-fed. No one seemed to be afflicted with any of the signs normally associated with poverty. The harbor, though, still stank, but that was expected in a city of this size. Because very often, harbors, especially if you're even in our world in the medieval time, uh, most trash, human waste, all that stuff ran to the closest waters. And harbors, you know, they're fishing. Some of the fish don't get sold. They go back and chuck them in the water. Uh, harbors can stink pretty badly. Not just like if you've ever gone to a beach and you go on a, a dock. They can have their own smell, but you get to an actual harbor. I've been to a few. They could smell pretty bad. You can imagine it way back in a time period like this. Well, equivalent time. In the future, we don't know. But you can imagine that the, uh, the stuff they're throwing in the water unabashed would smell even worse. Let's see. <clears throat> After a few minutes of chatting with the crowd, a well-dressed man made his way towards them. He introduced himself as Ankrum, the town's mayor, and welcomed them warmly. Artis explained that she and Maeve were traveling these lands in the name of their lord and the light. He introduced Petal, Ran, and Kip as their traveling companions. The mayor and his people seemed genuinely excited to see them, and there were no signs of trouble. Okay? So no, no one came in like, why are you here? Nothing like that. They were genuinely happy. Artists could see her friends, though, scanning the crowd in the town, looking for anything unusual, which she was doing as well. They've come here for a reason, even though they're not going to say, hi, we're here because we heard some evils here. They're still like, okay, what do we see? What stands out? Is anything abnormal? Do we see anybody behind a building, like around the edge of the building, sneaking a look? Do we see anything fishy like that? They're at a harbor. It's going to smell fishy, but you know what I mean. They're, uh, they're looking for anything outside the normal that might clue them towards things. Although... At first glance, just arriving there and looking around, nothing stands out. It seems like a nice, relatively quiet town. You know, it's a harbor, so it's got some busyness going on to it. And the people all seem genuinely happy to see them, which has happened in most of the other ports they've landed in. There's, it's not different than any of that. Uh, let's see. Ankrum was also very happy to hear they'd be looking for a place to stay for the night. The only inn in town belonged to his brother Jacob, and he offered to escort them there. The crowd began to disperse as they made their way up the street, though a few people followed along eager to watch. The cobblestone lodge was clearly one of the oldest buildings in the city. The smell of hickory wood filled its warm, comfortable central chamber and could be smelled from even outside. When Jacob, the owner and proprietor, stepped out of the back room to find Maeve standing there, he let out the tiniest eep and immediately fainted. Imagine that too. 
bunch of humans you come around the corner you bump into a stomach chest oh and just passes out Ankrum quickly ran over and began to shake the man until he woke and after a brief introduction the companions found themselves at a large table with food drinks and surrounded by people eager to hear from them they answered many questions about themselves and the lands that they visited though they admitted everything about their stop in Valrugan, and fortunately the winter folk were never brought up by the city people so all kind of standard if anything they seem a little bit more excited than normal to see now it's not unusual though one of the first things they notice is there's no clerics here there's no temple that they can bring up. And, and when they bring that up uh, they advise there was a small temple on the edge of town but it's been many years since anyone actually lived there it's more than anything else <clears throat> fallen into not i wouldn't say rubble but you know it's it's older it's unkept um <clears throat> but the people still worship and things of that nature no evil vibe is hitting them or anything like that and there's a few times where um people are like i guess you could say genuinely friendly to each other they see acts of kind things of that people about the trip somebody helps them anyway there's nothing that looks sinister in anything that anyone is doing now i wanted to touch on something about Maeve that is going to seem very different what you might come to expect from a classic Dungeons and Dragons style paladin this is something that had dawned on me while writing that I've never brought up to anyone uh in merged worlds because it really hadn't come to a point that it needed to um but it is so um paladins hello terry paladins uh have natural abilities and skills and magic granted to them by the gods and not always the same different gods can things much like different clerics might have different abilities of other gods traditionally the paladin has the ability to detect evil and it's always on. They don't have to turn it on. They don't have to turn it off. Um, not so much with the... That, that, and that's what you would come with the clerics of the light. Clearly under Minara, the goddess. Goddess of good. Uh, Maeve is a paladin, specifically of Zorn, the god of truth. So as such, um, it, hers are a little different. And she can do an ability of that nature. Can still do detect evil hers isn't on all the time neither is the ability that she has but she can use it as often as she'd like she can detect lie lyrical mage type spell but she can use detect lie whenever she needs to it's only a small cooldown in between but when she does it it covers a fair range around them she hasn't had a lot of reason to use that on this the only person they would have ever really questioned about time would have been Quintius when they first found him, and as you can imagine, as a magical artifact, it doesn't affect him. It's technically, Maeve never hears a thing he says. Only, only artists can see and hear him. Not that I'm trying to put him in the light of a villain. It's not. I'm just using that as an example. They couldn't have just said, well, let's just test and see if the magic item is... is they just wouldn't be able to. Unless Maeve 
And then again, you're 50-50 shot, depending on how powerful the artifact is. So while they're in there and, and asking questions, the way the Detect Lie works is she's like a Zone of Truth spell. Yes, very much like a Zone of Truth spell. And Maeve can turn it on. Um, and it's not it's something that they've always been able to do, but I haven't had many reasons to use it because I haven't really had a cleric of this nature. Um, and had we been playing this as an adventure instead of me just reading it and telling you the story, undoubtedly it probably would have popped up more often, would have been something the character would have used. And that's something I need to be better doing it from a, how would they be using it instead of I know they don't need to use it because I'm writing the story, right? This is a situation where definitely Maeve is using it. Got it on and, and she's still speaking quite a bit and her and artists are kind of going back and forth telling about themselves and answering questions while Petal, Ran, and Kip just kind of watch and listen. They may jump in now and again answer a question if asked. But um, Maeve and artists are very Evenly uh, acting. I say that, that's an odd choice of words, I know, but in this situation, neither one of them is acting like the other one's in charge. Remember back when Artis was a judge, the other earlier in the village, Maeve very much acted like a protector of Artis, and that's a big part of what her job would normally be. But in this situation, they're kind of coming into it 50-50. We are traveling, both on behalf of God in this case, and that these are our friends are, well, equal. They're not our servants. They've chosen to join us on this. So it makes it very much like artists and um, artists and Maeve themselves are on a particular quest. Like their god said, go down and go search the world. Which could happen, right? I'm sure that happens to clerics. They feel that call or have a dream or whatever. Golden stag ghost appears in the woods and tells them to go on a quest. You know, these things happen. Michael asks, does Artis have it also as a cleric? She can cast the spell, yes, but it's not a granted ability. Um, so hers is a little bit differently. So she can cast it as a spell, and when she does, hers is a little bit more like she can ask a question, you can tell if you're lying. Or if she, you know, if she's like, hey... So, tell me about your town. And the person is addressing her specifically, she'll know if that person is lying to her. But if Maeve is like, hey, so-and-so, where'd you get this beef? Like, oh, I found it in the river. And you're like, no, I stole that guy's cow. I, 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 whatever case is, I bought it from somebody. She wouldn't know because she's not a part of that direct line of conversation, even though it's a group. So, because you can imagine if, if anybody could always sense every lie around them, that's not always a good thing. Little white lies count as lies. They're still alive for a reason. Uh, it, it would honestly be very difficult to go through life only ever hearing the truth. And it doesn't sound as bad as, as it may, may mean to, but I could say that. <laughs> there are many times where some people have said or done things for yourself uh, without telling you 100% of the truth because it was the best thing for you. Ever been given by Santa Claus. Um, suck some of the joy out of life. So, they can. Maeve's is a granted power. She doesn't have the spell casting that Artis does, but it's a power that she has. It's a granted. She can activate it when she wants. Or periods of time. Artis can cast it as a spell, and then whoever she speaks to, and it's great when you're questioning someone, or in that 
court case type thing. If if it had come to the point where she genuinely didn't know who to believe, she might have asked them to step up, cast the spell, and then ask them specific questions. Um, now, that said, if the person knows that that spell is being used, they may word their answers to be the truth, even though it's not the answer you're looking for. Right? You can tell the truth and still be lying. So the spell does not differentiate between those two. Maeve gets away with that a little bit easier because she can pop off the ability without casting a spell and people don't know she's using it. But as what, but many people who know a paladin would have that ability might just naturally be concerned that it's on, right? If you're a villain and you know that a paladin of the light can sense evil, you're not going to get too close to them on the off chance they turn that on. So they ask, you know, of course, or they tell their stories, kind of the adventures they've gone through. They don't mention Quintius at all. Quintius is tucked into Artis's belt. Most people would see that and think that, okay, it's some type of magical item or it's some type of symbol of office. There's not a lot of questions, you know, like, what's your cape from? Is that a magical ring? Who's this? Was that thing alive? You know, people aren't asking that type of thing. It's rude. You don't ask people, hey, what are you wearing that's magical? That's rude in a world like this. But then after they've told their story, they also get to ask some questions about Caradon. And uh, Caradon has been around for generations. of, Though it's not an ancient kingdom, it's been around for probably four or five hundred years. I guess for human cities, okay, but you look at something like Arjuel or Paxawal, most of the major cities have been around for thousands of years. Start touching, talking to the elves and the dwarves, they've been around for tens of thousands of years. Serenity and Firemoon are really on the new end, and they're actually newer than Caradon. Caradon has been around for a while, but it's not an ancient kingdom. Uh, it originally uh, came to be as there were a group of people who were fleeing from the north. The story here from them is a little bit vague. They know that they were fleeing from being mistreated or if anything else, they were slaves. And so uh, their king's ancestor gathered and, and led people to the south to flee those lands. And the story goes that after they passed, uh, they were being, as they were passing south, they were being pursued by those that had enslaved them. The gods themselves heard their prayers and reached down and tore the land asunder, separating them from their pursuers. As I've mentioned in the past, the setup of Caradon is, is there's a mountain range to the south and to the east. It's a large ravine-like thing that goes from uh, along their northern border, river on their west. In fact, I've got a picture of the map. I'll pull it up. So here we have the map. Caradon is this area up here. And right now, characters are hanging out in this little village. This is where they've landed. Okay? Castle's in here. So there's the mountain range that kind of blocks it off on this side. There's a huge ravine here. I wouldn't say Grand Canyon-esque, but it's large, and people wouldn't just easily be able to climb down and come up the other side. Very jagged, rocky. So it, it separates them from the north. Their whole chunk of land like this came through the merge. Now, what was across the ocean from them is completely different now. These lands up here are unclaimed. This is a bit of the desert area, which we haven't talked about yet. 
Um, but yeah, this is kind of the, the setup. So they're here right now, and this is where this little hand is. This is the hand they're in right now. The story is, as their people fled south, the gods themselves ripped the land asunder. Now, whether that's true or not, of course, take that with a grain of salt. It's possible that they may have been planning it and pursued by climbing down the ravine, coming up the other side, and those who were chasing them just didn't have the capability to, or it wasn't worth it. So the ravine is what's kept them safe all this time. But that's what is supposedly the origin story of Caradon, which has been ruled by the family Wormshield, Dragon Worm, W-Y-R-M-D, Worm Shield. Why put a D in there? W-Y-R-M Shield, Worm Shield. Um, and the current king, Keldred Wormshield, still, of course, lives in the castle and is their ruler. He lives there with his daughter, Soraya Wormshield, and uh, he has been king now uh, for close to 35 to 40 years. Say you say 60s? Early, early 60s? So he was the king before the merge. Um, and much like we just discussed, much of their kingdom, in fact, almost everything, came through the merge, was what it was before. They experienced very, very little change geographically from the merge. Many of them was business as usual. Didn't have a lot of dealings outside of their, their kingdom. There is no dealings to the south because while there are some mountain trails and such that you could use to get through the mountain, uh, mountains range and such, there is just not enough that you could run a large force and was going to attack through the mountains. It would even be hard to send wagons of supplies through there, passes and such. So they're very blocked off on the south the east and the north by the ravine since they're very self-sufficient they don't have a lot of needs to go west um, fishing is good in the waters here so plenty of fish will be sent inland to the king wherever plenty of fish and things are available um, their lands are good for farming uh, large amounts of trees large amounts of um, fauna and animals and all that kind of stuff so more than enough to sustain the amount of people that live here. And for a kingdom, uh, it's on the smaller side of population. Uh, and they even explain that themselves. They're like, you know, we've, we've had no big population growth. Um, people are happy, but not everyone has children. And there's not a lot of large families. Although most people grow up, marry, and stay here. So the population as a whole does not, it has increased slowly over time but not largely. And there's no one coming in from other places. Look at Serenity, where just people came from all over to live in Serenity. They heard there's lands that are protected and maintained and at a good, and at a good, a good price. Exactly what you're looking for. These guys aren't saying that. They're not keeping people out. They're also advertising that they want people to show up. Give a feel for that. Um... Now, they do, they do hear this from Akram and some of the other people that they're talking to, that the kingdom itself had struggled after the merge in a couple of ways. The first one was very soon after the merge, literally within just a few months, the queen passed away. It was the king's second wife um, and beloved. No problem. Everyone loved the king and queen. And the king is still highly regarded here. You're not going to hear a bad thing about the king. And when they're talking about the king, they're not like looking around to make sure they're not getting in trouble or it doesn't seem forced. It seems genuine. 
Um, but when that happened, it affected the king greatly. He loved his wife, adored his wife. So he kind of became a bit more uh, in solitude, wasn't out and traveling the lands and talking to the people and so on and so forth. It was around that same time that the king took on a new advisor, uh, a mage, older gentleman uh, named Bartimus. And Bartimus had uh, moved into the, the castle to help the king through this rough time, uh, him and his daughter, uh, Sariah. And so it was uh, at that time that king is, was in mourning, and he never really recovered from that. It almost seems like he's still in mourning. It's rare that you'd ever see him leave the castle, and it's gotten less and less over time. Um, he's a good king. The people genuinely liked him. He doesn't overtax them. Taxes, what little they have to do, is fine. It's more for just upkeep kind of thing. Um, but as time went on, there was less and less activity outside of the king. What I mean by the king. So there's less and less people coming out and repairing roads. Less patrols, patrolling the road. Things of that nature. Less people were going to join the military. The military weren't doing that many things. Things became a little stagnant. Um, the other issue that they ran into time period is that creatures started showing up. And not like all one race, just weird different things like monsters and whatever, maybe some undead. Different things started popping up that the citizens had to deal with. Now, of course, attribute that to the merge, right? They merged, but there's a lot of creatures and things that came through that they probably didn't have on their world. Those things might be wandering around. Some of them may not have any problems going through the gorge or traveling over the mountains or swimming under the water and coming ashore. So uh, different things popped up from time to time that attacked villages or attacked whatever. And the people found that with less and less support coming from the castle, they were left to take care of themselves. Um, and even during those times, still was no ill will sent towards them. If something got really bad, they sent word for help. They would arrive eventually and they'd step in and do what needed to be done. If there was a someone was commit, committed murder or was arrested or something, yes, that stuff was in. The king would still hold court. You could still go to the king of the castle and you could still go in on once a month. There'd be a day where you can go in and, and you know, two people come in and announce the disputes and the king makes a judgment. All that kind of stuff still happens. Whereas he used to come from villages, you know, a couple times a month to travel around and, and do that type of stuff locally. Now you have to go up there and see him. The king does not leave the castle. So these things popped up, different creatures, different stuff. None of them overly insane. You know, you know dragons or beholders, nothing that's going to wipe out a small army. But it could be just an odd creature here or there. Or a small group of weird type of ogres. You know, I'm just naming miscellaneous things. Uh, but not, I, the thing I want to stress is things that are popping up are just occasionally, but there's no pattern to them. Not all were creatures. Not all undead. They don't all fly. Like there's nothing specific that would lead you to think these things are connected in any special way. I want to stress that I'm not sneaking a thing in there that I'm saying, ooh, they're connected. No. This could be some ogres. This could be a weird moose-like creatures. That's pink. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. They did not fight any pink mooses. 
I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna remember that for later, and you be ready when a pink moose shows up in this adventure somehow. It's gonna happen now. I've decided. <laughs> so, the people still send their the tax folks will still come around occasionally and uh, gather funds. Nobody really mess with them. The other issue they ran into, of course, is with less and less guards on the streets or on the traveling the roads. Um, thievery, right? Brigands, robbers, whatever you want to call them, highwaymen became a bit more um, commonplace. And the people had to police themselves. If they were going to travel from town to town, they started doing it in groups. Although they go months without anybody being attacked, you, know, you had to be careful. People who lived out on their own, like maybe they had a small farmstead or lived up near the edge of the mountains, some of them would end up going missing only to find that you know some type of beast or creature attacked that family or that person. And so people started moving and living close to each other. So there's small villages and small farm communities where they're still farming. But you have less and less solo people living around. Now everybody's in small isolated communities, which of course leaves at that point more open land that no one's living in. So in that open land, what has moved in to take that place? So when asked, because one of the first things they ask hearing the story is, would you say that the creatures that started popping up after the merge are showing up more often or less often? It was a question that Petal asked. Thinker like that strategy. She's always got that in the back of my mind. She's very intrigued by hearing this thing of creatures and such. Artists and Maeve are really thinking the political stuff and the king. You're hearing about this social art. She's Petal sitting there like, okay, creatures are popping up. Tell me what type of creatures. Which ones did you see? That? Okay, that's... That's, those are gnolls. Nobody worries about what's this. Oh, that could be mad. That could be undead. You know, she's always in the back of her mind being the daughter of Michael and Dandy. She knows all about undead, raised knowing the types of undead. So she, even though she's a mage per se, she has a lot of the basic training of, a, of an undead hunter just from the knowledge standpoint. So she, she very easily put together patterns of that. And she, very quickly, they learn it's not a lot of undead, so she does not doesn't connect anything there or anyways. Okay, magical no, magical yes, I mean, could be. And then, of course, Ran is doing a lot of just watching the crowd. They standing out and kind of things I talked about earlier. And Kip is in there telling his own stories and tales and jokes and whatever he is, and people ask him about some music and such, maybe to play a song, everybody stops and listens for a minute, and then they go back to questioning. But they spend hours in the end just talking to the community openly and friendly and people are buying them drinks and such because it's you know you buy a drink for for a cleric that's you know maybe some prayers come your way a little blessing now and again touch my mug thank you <laughs> clink mugs with a, with a breach yes i'm gonna drink this i'm impressed a lot of things like that heard of pink <laughs> mooses attack the party i love it so as the night as the afternoon even more and more people leave the inn it comes down to just uh, the mayor and, and Jacob himself, the, the proprietor of the inn, and a few of the folks who normally would be hanging out at the inn at night. It's, it's just still a small crowd in there, but not as much. Some of the wonderment and excitement of the uh, the new visitors is worn off. People have seen them, heard them talk for a while. Now they're just asking about Caradon. People are like, well, I already know about Caradon. I don't want to listen to the mayor talk more about Caradon. People start to break off and go home. As the crowd gets smaller and less sightseeing trip they start bringing their questions a little bit more specific asking about the area you know as clerics you know there's things that have you 
talked about creatures earlier, have you recently? And to answer the question earlier that I didn't answer, I danced around and forgot. The answer was yes, they do pop up a bit more often, at least sightings and such of them uh, by travelers. Since less people travel, less people live off alone, it's hard to say if there would have been more attacks, if they, the, the villages don't get attacked. There's too many people there. They don't have that problem. Enough people in the villages that most single or small groups of creatures, even if they're of badness, are not going to try to take on the whole village. Enough villagers with pitchforks and brooms could probably still take out a well-armed group of four or five people, you know. Something to think about. Issue. Fight Knowles one day. Although, you know, some drinks and things, the, the mayor speaking freely and openly, the, the heroes, does say, lean in at one point when they're asking about, you know, King and so on and so forth, he does say that there have been whispers, rumors more than anything else, if you will. Things at the castle may not always be quite they seem from the outside. Maybe even artists look at each other and like, oh, really? Well, what would you mean by that? I haven't been to the castle probably 10 years. I haven't seen anybody. I'll tell you that right now. This is purely rumors that I've heard come around. I want to speak ill of the king, not speaking ill of the king, but there are whispers and rumors. The princess herself is kept more, more akin to a prisoner. Than a member of royalty. She's rarely seen by anyone. Even in these special situations where they have court and things like that, it's rare that the princess is ever seen at all. And she must be in her early to mid-twenties at this point. It has made no steps of the king to follow me here. Find her a husband. You can imagine that. In a kingdom like this, there's no grandchildren yet. You know, An heir who's going to take over. That's by this age, usually, the king would have found a nobleman or something, right? Or someone in the kingdom of no, because they're going to have some. Even in this town, there's going to be some well-off people in this kingdom. Find someone to step in. But at this point, uh, there has been no interest that anyone's heard of uh, from the castle to betroth his daughter to someone. The same rumors also say that while she's been in there, um, the kingdom in many ways, is more ruled by Bartimus than the king. Even when they show up for court, very often, Bartimus, who speaks the king's decision and things of that nature, while the king sits there listening, he speaks little. In fact, uh, the king, always known to be a very large and muscular man, very active, heroic type king type, seemed to have wilted a little as, as his age is said, which again is not completely uncommon, those people when they're starting to hit their 60s in this kind of a lifestyle. He's not out adventuring and fighting things all the time. He's not in the buff shape he used to be. He's at home eating and making decisions. You don't get a lot of exercise that way. He may not have a gym, you know, things like that. But the castle, of course, does still see visitors. They do hold court, you know, said once a month, that kind of thing. Um, but again, everything he's saying, he's heard from others who've been there. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Now, there is a road, a main road, that travels from the coast all the way to the kingdom. The castle. I say the whole thing is the kingdom. When I mean that, I mean the city. 
This is a town around the castle, right? It's not just a castle sitting in the middle of nowhere. But the city around the castle, even then, most of those people don't go in the castle that much. If that makes sense at all. Please let me know if it does, and I'll explain it better. The road itself is still in pretty good condition. The people can't really take care of it themselves at this point, and the villagers work on it. But there aren't a lot of travelers. When groups do travel, as I mentioned, they're relatively decent-sized groups. Michael says, hmm, Lord of the Rings, Wormtail Shadows. Hmm. <laughs> Sir, are you, are you claiming plagiarism? Mm. Birds of a feather think together, I guess. Mm. So, it would take about a week of travel to get all the way to the castle. Uh, there's a couple of very small villages that they would pass through, although it does pass through a, a relatively large town. The only one the size of this one, the only other what you consider a large town, except for the one that's around the castle itself, and that's an area, a place called Dagon's Hill, where it is said that a heroic past general of the kingdom gave his life with his forces to protect the people. His name was Dagon. That's where the name comes from, Dagon's Hill. <clears throat> Named after the king's ancestors general. Boy, I wrote that weird. So, they're getting all this information. They're learning what they can. It is a very much almost complete human kingdom. It's not to say you may not see the occasional dwarf working as smithy, because, you know, I'm a king of stereotypes when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> and you may maybe find a half-elf here and there. Um, but mostly, like 99.5% of it is human. Um, and it's not that anyone gives off any aura that that's a problem. Or that that uh, humans, they only want humans. Not that at all. No one seems to be given Maeve a second look. Or Pip is clearly half-elven and no one's given him a weird look. And Dandy's not getting any from her either. So everyone seems to be just as equally inviting to all of them. So they're not seeing any overall feelings or words that would lead them towards it being a racist area against other non-humans. That's just due to its secluded nature and how it's always been that way. Not really an inviting group to anybody, human or not. Um, there's just not a lot of reasons for a lot of people to want to move into the uh, place of solitude to be on their own. And then after the merge, it got dangerous to do that. <laughs> so uh, people have left the kingdom since the merge. Uh, I would say they lost more than they gained. So they decide to spend the night, get rooms, even though the ship's there. They, they always try to stay at the inn at a place they're at just so they can you know, get a feel for the people. Also, putting money in people, local people's pockets. A brings goodwill towards them, and B, sometimes the places they go aren't that wealthy, and they're legitimately helping without just giving away money. Some people don't want you to give money to them because they feel like they don't want charity. But if you genuinely come in and partake of their services, then they are happy to charge you regularly. So, oh, did I say dandy, not pedal? I'm sorry, pedal. Sorry. <laughs> dandy and pedal. And you know, that one I don't mess up that much. It is so hard for me to not say Artis or Artemis as the wrong person. Boy, did they mess me up when they chose Artis. Because again, remember, 
I did not choose the names of these children. They were uh, chosen by the players who were their parents, as it should be, right? <laughs> she named her daughter artist. I was like, well, that's going to be something I've got to trip over for the rest of my life. I do a pretty good job with that one, although I got to stop and think about it some. Dandelion and Petal. I, I thought that went really, really well. Flower. Good thoughts on their part. So they make it quite known that their intention is to go to the castle. Traveling. Said, okay, we're going to take this road. We're going to travel all the way to the castle. It's going to take about a week to get there. You know, just steady travel at a non-rushed pace. Uh, there are horses and such here, though not like huge amounts of them. Nor are there any that would probably be able to carry Maeve even if she wanted it to without her armor on. Uh, so they are going to go by foot. Um, which is how most people travel unless they have a specific wagon or reason to go. Uh, there are no caravans or scheduled groups of people going, so they will be very likely traveling on their own. Uh, there isn't anyone needing to, to go that direction in the time period. So... Uh, oh, and where we are right now, it is in this area, kind of a, a, a mid-autumn, mid-fall. Um, if I was to name a time of year, it would be very Halloweenish for those people who out there have Halloween in your country, in America, where the leaves have already changed. They're reds and oranges and yellows. There's very little green left. Leaves are already starting to fall all over the ground, though there's still quite a few left in the trees. Temperature has gotten a bit cooler. Hey, Buffy. No. What is it? Has gotten a bit cooler, um, but not uncomfortably so. so. You know that kind of a season as they're traveling in this. But no one's no one's really walking quietly when she leaves. Yes. Give me one quick second, if you would. Just a moment. have a kitty i think it's part of her eye problems but she cannot find treats put a bowl of treats on the floor but if i put them in front of her she'll eat them you can see just fine she follows the string and stuff but she cannot find the treats unless i put them in front of her anyways so it's very autumn-esque um so they spend the night at the inn buy some basic supplies even though they don't really need much uh again they always have to buy some to give off that illusion. Clarify what I mean by illusion, right? One of the last things they want everybody to know is that they have a chest of holding. Not only is it for, it's an artifact. It's not just a magic item, it's an artifact. There's only two for sure, even though I'll tell you I'm sneaky, there were three. There were three created completely. Only two have ever been seen. And they had two of them. Uh, and then they lost one. You know, they died. Please see previous episodes if you have any questions about that. Um, but that's not something you just pull out of the, out of the corner and let go. Because I have a way of carrying tons of stuff in this magical room. Someone's going to try to take that. It's of almost limitless value. There, there, there's not much that a, a wizard or even some clerics wouldn't be willing to pay or do to get their hands on something like that. 
just to try to figure out the magic to 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 remake it, right? Um, so they don't want to tell everybody, hey, we've got a couple months worth of supplies in our pocket. So they have to give that illusion. Oh yeah, we need some supplies. Buy some. Buy the some food and some people are like, that's not a whole lot. Like, oh, we'll eat sparingly until we get there. Use what they need, pull the rest out of the chest. So they're always careful not to pull out the chest just all willy-nilly in the middle of an inn kind of a thing. They do it during you know, when it's needed or a lot of times when they're at camp at night, you know, they'll try to huddle around it. So Mabel will be kind of standing next to it. They open it, Dandy goes down, grabs or the pedal goes down. Back in the day, it was Dandy. We're going to do that. Now, these guys don't have the chest. They have the bag. Now, I want to clarify that. But they also have the same thing with their handy haversack. Right? They, have a, they have a backpack of holding. This group does. Now, it's more common, but again, still something of high value. Bags of holding, even though most dungeon masters would make you believe differently, are not commonly found out in the world. Not everybody has bags and pouches and backpacks and sacks of holding. Mercy had to pay quite a bit to procure the one she had to bequeath to her daughter. And she started looking pretty hard when she learned that, from Future Deacon, that they would eventually leave and go their own paths, which you kind of already knew, but then learning what was happening there, what 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 the what they were going to be involved in. Hang on a second. Uh, what they were going to be involved in, she started seeking. She probably went to the mage tower. Hey, yes, we can get you a couple of small bags of holding. Yeah, I don't need that. I need, I need something that's going to hold a decent amount of stuff for them. So procuring that is something she's put a lot of money into. These guys have their backpacks. So for the same reason, it looks just like a regular pack. Holds a whole lot more. Now, just before I move beyond that, because this the the the, pout, the bag of holding, the backpack of holding that they have, it's going to become more important as we move forward. That's why I'm going into a little bit more detail on how that works for some of you who may not be familiar with it. Basically, it's a backpack, like a bag of holding, much much larger inside than it is on the outside. It also has on it four small pouches that are small pouches of holding. On the back, one on each side. Big bag of holding, the equivalent of a bag of holding, because a lot of people think bag of holding, you think a bag of coins. A bag of holding is like a really big pillowcase. That's the actual size of a bag of holding if you get one. It's a sack. Most people are thinking the small one with some coins, that's a pouch of holding. Very common mistake. But there's a bag of holding with a couple of small pouches on it. They can hold a lot of stuff in there. Chest of holding being more powerful as an artifact, it can go inside other things like bags of holding, and bags of holdings can go inside of it. But one of the basic rules of any type of other thing of holding is you can't take one inside the other or it destroys them both. Put a bag of holding in a bag of holding, they explode from the inside because each one is a pocket to a different plane that closes off and all of your stuff is lost into that other plane of existence. So they can't put another bag of holding in here they could take it in the chest holding, but they couldn't put it in another bag of holding. I hope this makes sense. The other key thing to remember about any type of blank of holding is you can only put things into it that will fit through the opening. Just because there's a whole bunch of space inside doesn't mean you could stick a wagon in it because the opening is still the same size. If you try to stretch it too far, you can rip it, break it. It's not going to be any good anymore. All your stuff that was in there is lost in that other plane again. So... Maeve can't put any of her armor in this. It's kind of the, the first thing I'm coming with. So Maeve has to either keep it 
on while traveling, or she has to carry it on her back in a huge sack. It's silly. So she pretty much is always wearing her armor. And then in her pack, she has a change of clothing, which switch to regular clothes if she needs to. But even in this moment sitting in the inn, she's sitting there in her very shiny gloriousness because she keeps her armor quite the shiny. Cleaning her armor is something she does every single night. It's part of the job. She's always very imposing in every situation. But I digress. Went on a little bit of story there and wanted to talk about the bag holding because unlike the chest of holding, there are definitely more limitations with their backpack of holding. And it is slightly different than the Hayward's Handy Hat. Find and, but very much based on that. So there you go. A little bit of the more technical side again, but now you know it for down the road. This is your first time listening to Emerge World. That was probably very confusing. Highly recommend going to the beginning and listening on your way through. Way more sense by the time you get I'll wait. Welcome back. Okay, so, <laughs> so here we go. So um, they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to go. That's what we're going to do. They spend the night, wake up in the morning again. The inn's more full. People came to see them off kind of thing. The mayor's already there when they come downstairs. Um, and they're all given quite a treat. Um, a multi-step treat, but one thing. They get to see uh, Kip. Perform. He performs some actually takes some time to, to thank the people and tell a little tale and so on and so forth. Um, and people like that, enjoy that. But the big treat, of course, uh, is getting to watch Maeve eat. Not a lot of Minotaurs come through this way. In fact, for some of these people, they've probably never seen one before. They've heard of them, obviously. Maeve wasn't, there was no shocked look like, ooh, what is that thing? They knew what Minotaurs were, so at least on their original world, Minotaurs existed in some way or fashion. But Maeve eating is a sight to behold. Because Maeve, while still not capable to put down as much food as Darsh can, does put down more food than the other four put together. Um, Maeve, Maeve travels with money. She does have her own pouch of holding. It's full of money. Gems. Looks like a small pouch, but if someone did take that, they'd be getting a small fortune. That was procured for her by her father. Petal does not carry any, which is odd because she's the mage. Neither does Ran. Nobody quite knows what Kip has. He hasn't really showed them his pockets. And with his thiefly nature that he's trying to do better with, uh, Ran would be hesitant to look inside of his pouches for fear of what he might find and then have to realize was probably stolen. Although they all trust Kip. No one's checking their pouches around Kip. I want to stress that. Kip is a member of this group. He's a friend. He's helped them stay alive. 100% he's part of this group now. He's not like an employee. They eat, they do their stuff, they tell a little bit more tales, ask a few last questions, but eventually they prepare to go. Now they leave word, they go back to the ship, leave word with Lyman. Hey, we're going to be traveling to this castle, which we all knew ahead of time. We're expecting to be gone. It takes seven days to get there, so odds are seven days to get back. That's two weeks. If we're there a week and nine days, if we're invited to stay, that's about the most we would stay. So basically, we should be back between 21 to 25 days. If we're gone longer than that, no sign of us coming back. 
They are to leave immediately and to, at all haste, go to Darstopia. Hands down. Get out, go and tell my father. Then, you know, Dar shall take this Lyman and his crew don't have, you know, they can't, they couldn't bust into this castle. It's still got an army inside. There's nobody here that's, you know, rogues or something that can sneak in. It's like, you need to go tell my dad. And uh, basically half the world will come to our rescue. He's like, if it gets to that point, go home. Tell father what has happened. Because you could just imagine Darsh pulling up on the shore with a few of his ships and, you know, a couple hundred minotaurs walking off. Uh, that would be a sight for any place to see, especially a small kingdom like this. Hi, this is my army. Where's my kid? Like, you know, she never wants to be that way. She never wants to become a, a thing where her dad has to come save her. She wants to stand on her own. But she's also not an idiot. And she's like, if something happens, my friends are here. If I can't save them, I need someone to come in here and save Artis and Ran and Petal. Like, you know, and Kip. It's like, you know, if, I, I want to make sure my friends are taken care of regardless of what it is. Lyman understands completely, makes sure that while he and his people are staying in town, they will, all sailors will stay sleeping on the ship, not let other people on the ship. Limited time off land, so that way they can leave at a moment's notice. Though they will continue to stock the ship, right? Sitting on the ship, they're eating food. A week, they've eaten a week's worth of food, they'll go buy weeks more. They're going to make sure they got enough for a journey. They've been through several ports that they know are friendly. If they had to, they could stop real quick and stock up, but they're going to want to make any haste should something happen. We're not back in five days. Go to Darstopia. Tell my father everything that's happened. Because they don't know that he already knows about the whole game of the gods and stuff. Quint could not tell them that. They have no reason to think they do, although they're suspicious. Quintius doesn't know anything about that. So they leave that day and they travel. And again, it's very fall weather. The whole kingdom, being from the same place, is having the exact same weather at this point, right? So again, it's that nice... The evenings are cool, but still comfortable if you don't have to bury yourself in blankets. You have to be right next to the fire. Um... They're not going to find as much natural grown food. Like, they're going to be walking by apple trees and stuff. By this point, most of the apples have fallen or like, mostly fallen and rotted. And with anything else that's a fruit bearing trees, they still find some berries and such in places. Um, but they're not going to find a lot of things to eat. Although, uh, there is plenty of water, plenty of rivers and streams through this area. So, water itself should not be a problem. So they travel, and they're traveling for the first day without an incident. They don't come across anybody else on the road. A couple of times, they see farmhouses, uh, not directly on the road, obviously like driveways, kind of like long, thin driveways. They can see roads in the diff distance, and they take a little time to... You know, maybe go up a little ways and check out the house. And in each situation, it's clear the house has been abandoned. The farmsteads are growing overgrown at this point. They're not well tended. and Do not look like to have been tended in several years. Which does fit in with the story that they were told. That people don't live by themselves anymore. They live in communities. 
in this time they don't pass any of those farming communities although they're told they will see more of those as they get closer to the castle so a place where there's a bunch of farms all around each other and all the homes are close-knit next to each other and their farms are behind them kind of thing so that way uh, the people are still living close together and they can work together on each other's fields very common people do it in our world today too so um very very much so in the amish community i wanted to have a very amish styled area in merged worlds where and, and i apologize by anything i say is offensive i don't mean this ghibli when i say odds are there the chance of someone from an Amish community ever hearing this is minimal but still yeah. I don't know enough about them them as a group to adequately portray them, but I thought a group like that who stays away from magic, the Amish are known for staying away from electricity and technology, would be very cool. We just don't have magic here. We don't touch that. We don't want it in our area. That's something that would be kind of cool, but I wanted to uh, do it right, and unfortunately, I just don't have any way to contact anyone with that kind of knowledge <laughs> to actually write it correctly. Interestingly enough, I don't want to base it on Wikipedia. That's just not fair. Anyways, sidestep. Something I thought of a long time ago, but I just couldn't quite find a way to get the right information I needed. Be genuine. You know? So, um, yes. So, they're traveling. So, the first night they spend, again, no issues at all. Plenty of sleep. They, keep, they have guards on watch. They take turns, so on and so forth. There's no weird sounds throughout the night. No howling, no spookiness. Uh, it's no different than traveling through Serenity. It seems very peaceful. Although they are on their guard, may not see anything that's bad, but they might. The second day, they've been traveling for barely an hour when the land around them makes a, starts to change and very quickly becomes marsh-like. Uh, they were warned of this ahead of time road is raised because some of the areas around here have been known to flood um, and it had been a relatively rainy year so they expected the marsh to be high but historically it's never been enough to cover the road and in this situation they're still correct um, although the sides of the road are much more eroded and so they have to very much stay to the center of the road wagon coming through here would have to go single file or run the risk of sliding off the side because the road itself is about two wagons wide, but in this area, the sides have started to collapse and crumble in, and there are a lot of overgrowth, a lot of moss and stuff have grown across the road because it's not getting full proper upkeep at this time. Very few travelers. They've been traveling through the marsh area for about an hour. It's supposed to take about four or five hours to pass through this lower land area traveling. The land is slightly hilly that they're in, but not like deep gorges. Just, just rolling hills is the, with forests and stuff on it. Give you an idea of what the land geography is like. Geography is the right word? I think so. So, um, when all of a sudden, about that time, Kip hears it first. And stops them. In any situation where they're like dungeoning, Kip would be in the front searching for traps. But while traveling like this, it's Maeve in the front. 
usually pedal an artist behind adding when they're walking single file but where they're walking right now they're not walking single fire so it's really just kip and ran in the back walking together chatting occasionally whatever ran just loves hearing kip's stories of adventure and stuff all the adventures kind of thing he imagined his dad did and all so the two of them always hanging out chatting and then ladies are always chatting as well ever talk about what do you think of this magic what do you think about that oh i need hey give me some of those leaves i want to put it in a test tube petal takes a lot of samples if she sees a flower or a plant of something that she's not seen before she's constantly stopping them to take samples and such check on them later to see if they have any type of magical property or could be used as a magic component in a spell um that type of thing mages would gather normally but it's kip that hears it first very likely due to his slightly better hearing being a half-elf. Silences them and tells everyone to stop. He sits there, and he's just sitting there like this, and they can tell he's listening. And they stop talking. Everybody's silent. Nobody moves. Tell he's listening for something. Come to trust him. And a moment later, they hear it too. And it sounds like the howling or barking of dogs. And it only takes a moment to realize it sounds like it's getting closer. So they immediately begin to draw their weapons and prepare. Now, they're up on this road. Both sides of the road have marsh-like water. It's very gloomy. It's very hard to see how deep it is. Based on the trees they see, probably not more than just one to two feet in most areas. Though that doesn't mean you can step into a hole and disappear for a minute. Um... Just looking at the, the way things are, it doesn't look like it's more than one to two feet deep. But for someone like Petal, a lot of water. So they immediately take up the positions they normally would in a situation like this. They hear the sounds, but it's hard to tell which direction they're coming from. With Petal in the center, they all begin to kind of make a little bit of a wall around her. This group has had to learn to fight with a mage different than normal. Whenever original group was fighting with a man, Tobias would be a great Tobias is in there being protected and he's shooting out spells over shoulders and things and so on. But Petal is shorter than everyone. She can't fire spells over people's shoulders. She will occasionally fire a spell between people's legs. It's always dangerous. She gets a giggle when they react uh, scared of it. But very often she has to learn to cast spells and for them to leave little windows open for her to be able to cast her spells. And she has to call that out. Spell this direction, spell that. You know, she, they, she has ways of calling out what she's doing that they understand. And uh, it's assumed in most dungeons, I'm the warrior and I'm telling the mage I'm going to do this. I'm doing it in a way that everybody else I'm fighting listening doesn't understand what I'm saying. No one ever talks about that. But it's understood that there may be phrases or things that the party uses to give out strategy of what they're about to do without yelling, I'm going to attack the big one. Because then everybody's like, oh, hell no, you're not. And they all get in your way, right? You don't, that's, that's not how fighting is going to work. So if you've ever seen traditional battles, there's flags and colors and different things to symbolize what you're going to do. It comes down to baseball the same way. You got to I'm going to steal base. You use different, you don't know what the other side's using. Don't want to know that you want them to know your plays and vice versa. So, pedals in the middle preparing cast magic should the need arise. 
and depending on you know, without knowing what kind of magic might be needed. She only has a small list of spells. But it only takes a moment before them to arrive. And the creatures that come running in are much like dogs. There appear to be five or six of them. Although they're slightly larger. I wouldn't say they're as big as a wolf, but they're definitely larger than the average dog. They'd be a very large breed of dog. Um, but they look like they're all wet. Like they've been swimming almost, so they came out of the water. And there's just slime and leave and murk, like they've been sitting at the bottom of, of a lake for a week. They got the slime of the mold is growing on them. So as they're running, and their eyes are all white. And they don't look, I wouldn't say they look shriveled. They don't look undead, per se. But it's hard to tell them, is that fur or is that plant with mold on it? It's hard to get a look at it. They're definitely shaped, and they look like dogs. They got teeth, and the dog the tongue lolling all over the place. But they obviously are coming in on an attack. They're not just passing by. As these six come running in towards them, they notice just a little bit further back a much larger one. And this one has kind of the same look to it, although its eyes are glowing a bit reddish in tint. Not like a bright neon light. It just kind of has it. This is during the daytime. It's not like it's glowing in the dark or anything like that. Um, and it's still got the same kind of leavy, moldy, slimy stuff. Like wet leaves kind of thing. Rolling around in the water. The things come racing in. Uh, and because of the water, and, and the, it's coming up, like I said, a relatively high ditch that would crumble. The things are coming up on the road a short distance behind them and then coming down the road at them. Uh, so luckily, they're able to put in a slightly defensive way of putting Maeve and Ran in front there with Kip backing them up, because that's all the space you can fit. Maeve and Ran next to each other are going to fill this whole road in their fighting styles. I'm not saying they're fat. You know what I mean. Kip is slightly behind, ready to step in if he needs to, and then Artis and Petal are behind them, ready to cast spells. Again, Artis... Perfectly fine in melee, but usually they like to tuck her behind Maeve just in case. She's also the one who has some healing spells, in case they actually need that. So as these things come in, they immediately jump into combat. Flash, flash, chop, chop, chop. The things that they're attacking, these dog creatures, they howl, and the barking is almost dog-like. But it, it almost like has an echo to it. When they bark, it's almost like two dogs barking at once, but one a little bit quieter. That makes sense? That's a single... So this coming from all the dogs. Now, like I said, they're slightly bigger than dogs, so they're not huge by any means. The big one that has stopped and in the, is coming through the water, it's kind of stopped just watching them and barking occasionally. Same howly bark. These ones are coming in. Maeve and Ran, of course, immediately step in. But when they step in to attack, the dogs back up. Then come in again and starting to nip at them. So as they're attacking, the dogs are dodging and moving a little bit. They're not idiots. You've ever seen a dog will move out of the way sometimes, swing something at it. But they seem to be honestly recognizing the attacks and getting out of the way. There's a large howl coming from the black dog. 
Then three of the dogs, all the dogs come back a bit, just kind of sit there watching, and the three of them break off and jump, go back down the road, jump in the water, and start to make their way around to come up the road on the other side. Now, their party's there to defend, but they can see this happening. They're like, those ones are going around. Kip and Artis now have to spin backwards because three of these dogs are coming up the road on the other side with now on each side. They're basically being flanked. Now, of course, Maeve definitely not happy with this and neither is Rand. They're stuck holding off these first three dogs that have started coming forward trying to bite at them and such and they're swinging and trying to defend them. Neither one can just stop and go around to save the other two. So now they're just as much threat attacking Artis and Kip, who aren't the level of fighters ran off. Had they known it's going to happen, they probably would have split up their forces a little differently. Put Maeve or Kip in the front with... Sorry, put uh, Artis or Kip in the front with Maeve, ran in the back with one or the other. Petal immediately starts ta- you know, calling out spells. As soon as these three come around, she turns to focus on the three that are coming towards Artis and uh, Kip. He also recognizes they don't have quite the same physical capabilities in, in so she lets out a, a big burst of flyer. So when she does that, she steps forward, and the other two kind of step to the side so she can let this cone of fire out without burning her two friends. While this is going on, Maeve overextends herself just a little, but by doing so manages to clip one of the dogs clean across above the, the, between the nose and the mouth. It just cuts right through it. And what comes out is like a black, thick kind of oil, almost like a molasses, just slowly leaking out and not blood. And the creature does not seem deterred in any way. But while she was doing that to finally reach out and get a clip on one, the other two surge in and jump in at Ran. Ran is able to get a hit on one, But one of them does manage to come in and hit him hard, and he gets bitten on an arm. And it clamps down, and he yells out in pain. It's pain. You've ever been bit by a dog? This one just clamps right on his arm and doesn't let go. Now, for sensing, he cut up, but he's also trying to get this other one. He's got two on him. He calls out, and Maeve, who's doing her thing, just turns and down and literally clops the head off the dog because it's not moving finally it's staying in one place just comes down her big two-handed sword which she can wield one or two-handed she for different different types of different reasons if you know how to fight with one or two hands it's two different styles used in different situations she's using it one-handed this one she comes down she cleaves the thing clear in half and as it hits the ground it more collapses. It doesn't sink, but it kind of collapses. And then, like, the black tar stuff just gooping out of the head hole. The mouth does not let go of Rand's arm. Maeve doesn't have time to deal with that because the other one, seeing this, jumps in because and bites on her leg because she had the sword to her side. She doesn't have anything in front of her now. Now, using a shield, really, really, really big sword. Petal's flames, very successful. Clearly, the the dog things were not expecting that, and 
gout of six to eight feet worth of flame fully grabs all three of them. And even though they're wet, they all burst into flame. Good news, bad news. Good news is it's clearly damaging them. It's burning away the leaves and the edge to the point that some of that black tarry goop is coming out of them as well. But while it's doing that, the goop as it's going over flames is putting it out. The goop is still liquid and slimy, and it's not flammable. But it's definitely doing damage to the dogs, even though they do not seem uh, to care and continue now flaming dogs to charge in to artists and Kip, who are doing a fair job of keeping them at bay, which is really what they're trying to do. If they can get a hit in, they, they will. But they're more just trying to keep from being bit with the assumption that Ran and Maeve will take care of what they need to and then come back and help them you know, to the point they can step to the side or step back and let one of them slide in to help. It takes Maeve a minute to chop off the one on her leg and pry its teeth off of her feet. And I want to say, it's not like this thing is still alive. It's not chewing on her leg like it would be alive. But she has to pry it off and then throw it to the ground. It's Then it stops moving. It's not alive. It's not like an undead thing. Again, it feels, when, you, when she squeezes it, it feels more brittle, like leaves. I mean, it's definitely got a solid mass to it. Like, you can grab it. And so, but she squeezes it, her fingers sink in a little bit, more than they would with skin. And like, again, a big clump of wet leaves. She does pulls it off herself, throws it to the ground. It, it collapses. And again, it doesn't, like, just flatten, but it, it, lo like it loses air. And the, as the goop is coming out, it starts to deflate. Um, Ran has basically taken the arm that has a and is holding it to the side. It's not chewing, but it hasn't let go. It hurts. But he's still focusing with his one hand, using the sword on the other one. And it takes a moment or so, but he's eventually able to harm it enough that a loud howl is heard. And the remaining four dogs, the one on Maeve's side and the three that are on fire, back off some. Rand takes the moment to hold up his arm. Maybe's like, huh, grabs it and rips it off. As she does, it literally rips in half. And the black goop comes out. It's not acidic. It's not burning their skin in any way. But it's like just a goopy molasses syrup type kind of thing. When she rips the jaws, it literally rips in half. And she throws it to the ground. And the goop's on her fingers. And he's like, ah, gross. Wipes it off on probably on Rand's shoulder. She's wearing metal. She's not going to get hers dirty. Rand's like, really? Really? And she's like, what? Wipes it on his shoulder a bit more. She's wearing cloth. <laughs> Leather armors and such. And they use this moment to adjust themselves. Very, very quickly, Kip and Ran switch places. Artist's like, you guys okay? Do I need to heal on you? And they're like, no. It hurts, but we've got several of them down now. Save your spells for something more important. Now, the three wolves of the original six have gone back and are kind of standing next to the very large one. And as they went running through the water, the flames were doused and they still look like they're slightly melted in spots. There's still goop coming out of them, but they don't seem to be like in pain or reacting as if they've been harmed and it sucks for them. There's the black wolf opens his mouth and howls again, much longer than normal did before. And more howls are heard. 
from all around them. And then their splashing is heard. And as they look, they can see more of the smaller wolves coming from almost every direction. Probably about 20 to 25 of them total. And they come up and they stop in the water, forming a ring around them. And the black wolf begins to move forward. And as it walks forward, circle, all of them begin to shrink. And as the wolf gets... Say wolf, dog. As the black dog gets closer, this, the light around them literally starts to darken. Like it's almost like it's going to night. The whole aura. And it's not like they can see the sun. It's just like the sun is the sky around the sun is getting darker. And as it's getting closer, the smell of burning sulfur can be smelled. And they can see just light wisps of smoke coming off this black one. As it's getting closer and as it's starting to go a little faster, the smaller ones are as well. And they start just, this time they're not trying to come up the road. They're just clamoring up the hillside and girls are in a bad way. Petal fires off another one of her flame things to try to deter some of the wolves that appear to be the closest dogs. I keep saying wolves. They're not wolves. My poor word. Dogs that are getting closer. And the flames hit, but they just come right through them like it's nothing. This is a concern. Preparing for battle. Artis hears a voice in her head. You must wield me. Sound of Quint in her head like what and of course her friends are like what 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 now what dogs they don't hear quint and quint states a word into her head a word of power say what is right now it's a word and doing as she heated she takes out the scepter takes his instruction holds it aloft and speaks this command word and as as he does or she does it begins to glow and very quickly grows in brightness to the point that Within just a couple of seconds, everybody's kind of turning their head. All the dog things howl. Hear it howling and squealing and such, but they can't really see much because the light is so bright and it pushes that darkness away. That's everyone except for artists who can see through the light perfectly fine. And she sees the majority of the smaller dogs literally erupting and like almost like a, a huge wind is hitting them. And it just starts to peel away like their face. And inside is just the goop. And as all of the, the, the outer shell of these things fades away, the fluid just falls and hits the ground, almost like just wet leaves being blown away. The only one that's not affected that way is the large black dog who is literally, they could, she could tell, being harmed. Its skin is like, I guess you could say erupting into fire, but not with traditional fire. Like the fire itself is more of a purple and green color. Purple outside, green center. You know, a candle. Green with the purple around it. And it backs up quickly. Turn around and run, but backs up quickly. And does so to about 20 feet where it stops and it seems to stop being affected by the light, which at this time has now started to dim down. Her friends are starting to be able to see. They're all rubbing their eyes because they're like, literally, is there, are they still out there? What's going on? The sounds of yipping has died at this point. All the little ones are gone. But Artis is standing there holding the scepter aloft. 
and she sees this dark thing and it just you know, growls. It obviously gives like a, you know, you can tell it gives an angry growl and then it turns and it bounds off into the marsh. And when I say into the marsh, like it goes five to ten feet and then it's like it's running downstairs and disappears into the water. They'll check. There's no stairs. I'm just giving it the, the visual effect. Fire darkness. Very much like a fire darkness. Very much so. Now, nobody else saw that but Artis, who was unaffected by the light. So she fills them in on what happened. Now, their immediate concern is quick heals, right? Maeve has a little bit. She can heal herself on her leg. Heals up just fine. No thing. Rans was a little deeper. They managed, she has to use... Uh, Artist uses a couple healing spells because, again, she only has some of the early game ones. She's not a healer per se. She's able to heal it up to the point that it's mostly healed. There's just some basic marks. But looking at them, they don't look infected. Doesn't look like he got some type of weird dog disease. But they're going to have to keep an eye on it just to be safe. No, he's not some type of werewolf. Don't jump that way. Just that's the heals the best she has. And they decide to start going up the road as quickly as they can. There's supposed to be a few more hours before they get out of this marsh. The last thing they want is that thing coming back with more. Other than thanks, Quint, and she tucks it in sleep. She starts trying to cast spells at that point. Like she's not being rude or unfriendly. She's like, thanks, Quint. Like genuine, like kick ass. You did something, right? Like at this point, they don't know exactly what he does, and he won't tell them. This is the first time, other than talking to them and sharing knowledge, that he's shown some type of an ability. I want you to remember back to when we heard his story originally. His brother used Quint in part help take back the kingdom, implying that the scepter made a huge difference. How? Right? Because he was fighting against people. How could the scepter make that much of a difference? This is the first thing they've seen that might be able to say, okay, cool, here's an ability. And it drove, it destroyed those things, whatever they were. To which even Quint states, he doesn't know what they were. But they held within them an essence of darkness. Necessarily mean the god of darkness, but it could. It's definitely something from dark magic, whether it's wizard or clerical, he can't tell. It's something he's never seen before in the tens of thousands of years he's been alive. So they start booking it to get out of this swampy area the best they can. Um, and, you know, they're on foot, but they do pretty good. And they get out of there in just a couple of hours by pushing themselves. And they make sure that they're well outside of that area. They don't even, they can't even see it in the distance before they finally stop to rest. Decide they're going to stop for the night. They're going to rest for a bit, push a little bit more. They're going to stop early to give themselves some more times to heal and set up a bit better of a defensive perimeter just in case these things attack them. Again, outside of the swamp. Now, fortunately, that doesn't happen. We're able to go through the next night perfectly fine. Not a single howling or anything was um, uh, it was heard. Nothing like that at all. I told you guys I was going to try to keep this down to an hour and a half episode. Today's probably not going to be. I'm going to go a little bit longer. We're, we're getting to this. I want to get some stuff. Plus, I, I missed a couple of episodes. Magic is so old, it says like an artifact. There you go. Something pretty powerful, huh? So, they get through the night perfectly fine. The next day, they check both Maeve and Rand's wounds, and they're fine. 
I mean, there's still some markings there. They're not fully healed up completely. They don't disappear. But there's no sign of infection or some type of poison. They feel fine. So the bites they got and such don't appear to have put any type of magical, goopy poison. The, the black stuff didn't get into their veins. They're not poisoned. I'm clearing that up. 100% seriously. They don't have anything like that. I could have easily done that, but I didn't. For reasons. They continue to travel on. They lost a little bit of time. They rested more than they wanted to. But they feel good at this point. They feel okay. Um, and But now, you know, when they heard of the different types of creatures, the few stories they heard, nothing matched those dogs. Nothing that they heard of were anything like that. But they said, they were told multiple different things. There was no real like, theme to anything. Different weird stuff popped up from time to time. They travel the whole second day without incident. None whatsoever. Make camp on a group of trees, plenty of dried wood, especially this time of year. It leaves for kindling. In fact, they have to be a little more careful. They actually stay kind of close to the road because they don't want to light this whole dried up forest on fire. Leaves everywhere, right? Talked about that. Kind of building their fire just a little bit closer to the road and further away from the trees, which also gives them a bit clearer look because there's not as much trees growing right next to the road, even though it's not in the best repair. The next morning, early, or 5 o'clock a.m., Ran is on watch. He's the last watch of the night. He's only taken over probably a couple hours earlier. Pedal never takes a turn. Even though she wants to, they're like, no, Pedal, you are our primary magic user. We need you to be fully rested and so on and so forth. Plus, with Kip here, there's four of us. We each take like a two to three hour watch. Everybody, everybody, everybody gets, no, no worries. They do that. But it's Ran that's on watch. And he hears something. Small. It took a second. He heard it. And immediately he stands up, draws his weapon, and calls out to his friends. Ran heard a footstep. Single footstep on maybe one or two crunchy leaves. How that footstep, whoever that was, got that close before they made a noise? Not. Should have happened. Immediately hearing Ran's cry, everybody's up. Maeve, who basically sleeps in most of her armor, you can imagine it's not easy to get that on and off. They pop up. She pops up, and she's not in full arm, but she gets up and grabs her stuff. Everybody pops up and is ready, and at that time, Jig is up. They hear different callings out as a bunch of armed figures. Again, it's still early. Sun's just coming up. It's still mostly dark. The sun's just cracked the horizon. They can see a little bit. Group of people come rushing in. They come in, and there's a little like, ah, they charge your attack. Immediately, the first thought is, these look like high women, brigands. They weren't making any attempt to hide their fire. In fact, with the monster creatures, usually, very often, being around fire will deter animals and creatures from coming to you. The fire was, was not meant to be hidden, so it would have also been viewed from distance. And these group of highwaymen, of which there appear to be a few, 
It's hard to tell in the darkness. They come rushing in. Now remember, Ran was on watch, and he's also the only one. Screw. No, no, he, sorry, two of them. He and Artis. Neither one of them have information. Petal does, Maeve does, and Kip does. Everybody quickly draws their weapon and hops up. Everybody who wears armor is wearing, not most of it, except Maeve is wearing some. Everybody has their weapons close at hand. They know it's a dangerous area. They hop up and prepare for combat. Now, there are about 10 of them. And they're well-armed. Now, well-armed as in weapons. They clearly have weapons of relatively good quality. None of them are wearing heavy armor. It's mostly leather, maybe a little bit of studded leather. But nobody's wearing any type of plate mail or heavy chain or anything of that nature. They don't seem like soldiers. They're wearing stuff you'd expect for someone more running, more um, agile. Running through the woods, sneaking in, jumping up trees, that kind of stuff. The more type of armor you'd expect, affordably, especially for someone like a brigand. Brigand, however you pronounce that. They come into attack. Melee begins. Same type of thing as before. The four kind of take a space. They're not all touching back to back because they want to have room to be able to do their attacks. But they are staying relatively close with Petal in the center. Now, Petal has spells to use, and many of them, or magic missiles, things like that, she has several fire-based spells, and she's concerned about using any of the fire-based spells this close to all the leaves and trees. That's the last thing he wants to do, start a forest fire that could really mess up people's lives in this area. Even though there's not any horses, houses they've seen, gotta be worried about that. So she's trying to be extra careful with the spells that she uses. She decides to pop off magic missiles at the first one she sees, coming towards Artis. Because that's almost her priority in every fight. Ran and Maeve can do their thing. She takes care of Artis and Kip if she needs to. But in her mind, she's protecting everybody because she really does all the heavy lifting in this group. She doesn't say that from an ego point, by any means. Just, she's like, they rely on me and my magic. It's just That's a very dandy point of view. Petal has that too. I'll save everybody. <laughs> Whatever, you know, that's kind of how... He thinks, right? It's kind of runs runs in the family. And they come in and very, very quickly melee combat begins. They're trained. Obviously, they know how to fight. These are not just farmers who picked up swords somewhere. Uh, they're not expert swordsmen by, by any stretch. And just in a regular situation, one-on-one or even two-on-one, Maeve and Rand would have no problem taking these out. And Kip, too, from how well he's... He's appearing to be doing against them as well. And even Artis. Artis is running on par with combat. And she's she's sword and mace. So she's she's shield and smack. She can definitely do that. Um, so even though there's twice as many of them almost, they're able to hold them back pretty easily. And Petal doesn't have to fire off any extensive spells because within just the first couple rounds combat, D&D point of view, um, one of them's already hit the ground. Now, there's once the first one falls, the others seem to make a shift and begin to charge in almost recklessly. But when they attack, they kind of stop attacking in front of them. 
some of them. Kip and Ran almost get ignored as the remaining seven kind of immediately focus their attention on Maeve, Argus. Four of them on Maeve. Now, I understand that I'm fighting Ran, but Maeve's right there. It doesn't take long for me to recklessly attack Maeve. I'm opening myself up to a hit from Ran. But I can turn and quickly charge, especially if you're not expecting that. You know, Rand doing his duelies or whatever, dueling and such. And all of a sudden, I'm ready to block. But instead, you just turn and rush and real quick try to attack Maeve. And they're successful. Both Maeve and Artis uh, are caught un unaware. And each of them takes at least one, if not a couple of hits. Petal cries out, immediately unleashes the magic missile she was ready for and fires at one of the ones that had just struck Artis. Artist stumbles backwards a little bit. They're all using swords. She'd been cut some. Dash that kind of just on the side of her neck, going into her shoulder. She'd been wearing some of her armor, been a little more protected. She wasn't fully armored up. They got attacked by surprise. They got just a kind of cut on the neck to the shoulder. Someone went in with it with a sword. Nothing's too deep, but enough to really hurt. And it's bleeding a bunch. She'll probably need stitches. So, you know, the equivalent. Maeve, luckily, had enough armor that it deflected most of the blows she took, but they were still strong. Even if you hit armor, it still hurts. <laughs> it still hurts you some. But she took a couple of cuts. Now, as she was taking a couple of cuts, Maeve very easily just slopped a half of an arm and a shoulder off a dude. He screams. She's got her big shoe. That's one of the ones she was planning on attacking, and all of a sudden these other ones from the side just come at her. Ran and Kip were very much caught unaware, but immediately go to defend. And Kip moves faster than Ran. Not that he's better than Ran, I want to say that, but instinctually in this situation, he turned and stabs one of the dudes clear through the back. Their armor's not that strong. Run with him. Can he use that long thin? He's using a rapier. Rapiers that dude right through the back. Rand comes in as well and goes up and attempts to, blo to block the blow that, a blow that's coming down on Artis and manages to do so. Then the other guy, the, the, the other guy still gets a blow in and Artis is barely able to defend. And Rand, at that point, really has to push through and charging any shoulders, one of the dudes knocking him backwards and tries to basically stand in front of Artis. And by doing that, he ends up taking a hit himself. Pedal fires off another spell and in... Artis steps forward now next to Ran and Kip against these three. And it's a three-on-three -three situation. It only takes a moment for the three of them to take out the three brigands. Right? Because I said, in a one-on-one -on -one situation, it'd be much, much easier because they're not that good. Maeve had thwomped one, and there's still three left. So one against three is fair conditions for Maeve. And while they're quick and trying to, you know, flank her a little bit, Maeve's reach with that sword and just the size she is, it's hard to be prepared for that. You can train in the army to fight people all day. Everybody you practice against is a human, right? Probably, you're in a, especially in a place like this, where it's almost all human. You got to imagine that, right? I spent my whole life sparring with these people, practicing. Everybody I fought and killed from that point, human. I know how far they can reach. I know how to move and about what to watch for. Minotaur does the same thing. I take a step back. That's nothing to a reach like Maeve. 
she can still clip you as easily as she needs to. So that, especially in areas that don't deal with a lot of mentors, that's a real perk for larger style creatures. It'll also be a perk for smaller, but in a different way. Like if it's someone who's unnaturally small and is used to fighting people larger than themselves. Like a gnome, like Mugen. He hasn't had to fight a lot, but since he's come out, anything they've dealt with is taller than him. That's why technically, at least in 2nd edition Dungeons & Dragons, that are larger would have a negative against a smaller man-sized creature because they're used to fighting man-sized creatures. That's small, I'm not used to that. Right? But you can also get a negative fighting larger if you're not. Just because you're big doesn't mean you're always easy. You might have a good time hitting you, a lot harder to dodge. So it only takes a couple rounds before everybody's dead on, on the bad guy side. That's a good guy. Everybody is dead. They managed to kill them all. Even the ones that had been cut earlier have already bled out at this point. And they fought savagely. Like, it wasn't given, there was no taking prisoner option. They forced these people to kill them or be killed. They killed them. Ran, of course, as soon as it's over, is rushing to artists and checking, are you okay? It's a spell, give me a potion. She's like, I'm okay, hang on. Maeve's like, I got this one, let me take care of you. What about you? You can take care of me in a minute. And they start doing some of their heals. Well, Ran and Kip are, you know, preparing, watching, just in case any left leftovers come running up. But that doesn't happen. So they search bodies, loot the bodies, the first thing you do after any combat, and they find that all of them are carrying nothing other than the weapon and what gear that they're wearing. The gear is in okay condition. I say that like it's not brand new. Definitely been used. It's worn. There's, you can look at it and see they've been in combat before. And it also looks like these, whoever they are, have been out in the woods for a while. It's not polished in any way. It's not been oiled well, which you really have to do with leather armor. You've been in good condition. Um, but they, they've obviously been out in the woods for a while. Probably people that don't live in town normally. Be what They would assume, these expert people that we're talking about, they've been trained for this stuff, they can tell this by looking. That would be definitely something Rand is able to pull out of the book from what his father's taught him. Certainly, they have no coins, they have no wallets. You know what I'm talking about. No money, no personal facts. No one's wearing jewelry. They're all human. Um, none of them are wearing a face mask. They all look bearded, shaggy some. So no one had a huge long beard, so it could be attributed to they've been out in the woods for a while or they just want naturally. Beards, as delicious as they are, not as well kept sometimes when you're living out in the woods. Um, and there's no supplies on them. No backpacks, no bedrolls. They are staying somewhere around here or far away. They look around a little bit, no signs of anything directly near them. It's while searching them that they find one thing on all of them. That is tattoo. Each one of them has a tattoo on their back of their forearm right here. And while the tattoos are not identical, it, all, it takes no time at all, like literally seconds, for Petal and Artist to look at that and look at each other and say, those are the same symbols on the paper that we found in the guy that we had to kill back in the Frosty Village, Barugan. These are the same symbols we couldn't read as a language. These are the same type of symbols. They don't specifically match any of the ones on the paper. You can bet they're going to take that out and compare it. And the, the paper the guy had 
wasn't like a novel worth of words. You know what I mean? There might be 20 to 25 symbols, like three or four by like five or six kind of thing. Does that make sense? It was almost like you'd expect pictures writing in a novel, but with just bigger symbols, rows. None of these ones match those specifically, but it's clear just in their style, they look like they're part of the same language or symbology. If they're symbols that just mean something, they're definitely a part of that. Um, Petal, taking out some paper and part of it, does her best to draw copies of them on another piece of paper so they can keep these to add with the others, right? Because if they can figure out what one of these means, that may be the key to start unlocking more. So she wants to get as many as she can. So she goes around and she's doodling all the other ones while everybody else is searching the area and such and determine there's no one else around. That was early in the morning. Obviously, they're not going back to sleep at this point. They begin packing up their stuff. Uh, continue to carry on. The next couple of days are without incident. Traveling perfectly fine. And it's maybe early afternoon when they decide to find a little river. They're going to stop, rest a little bit, fill up their water, take a couple hours to just relax. They haven't really done that. Relatively safe where they are now. Train is pretty decent. Uh, they decide to relax a little bit. Decide to set up a little camp, make something warm to eat. Maybe just you know enjoy a couple hours by the nice river. Somebody wants to fish, see if they can catch some fish. Tired of eating the pickled fish or whatever they would carry it in their pack. And so they decide they're going to do some fishing. Maeve loves fishing, by the way. Didn't know if you knew that about her. And she lives on the ocean with her dad. You can imagine that. Probably took her fishing lots of times. And uh, Rand goes to get some firewood. So, Rand's out gathering firewood. And over the last couple of days, his mood has been a little sour. A little more quiet than normal. Still talks to everybody, including Kit, but he just doesn't seem as jovial as he's been recently. He's gathering some wood, but he's you know, just occasionally stopping and talking to himself and muttering and doing some stuff. And eventually, Kip shows up. And basically calls him out on him. He's like, what's been bothering you, boyo? What's been bothering you? Rand's like, what? Oh, catch you. He see obviously, he he hears Kip coming. Kip's not trying to be silent. And he sees him coming. He doesn't have to draw his weapon. He's like, okay, cool. So it's not a surprise. But maybe just came to check on him or get wood. He's like, what's wrong with you? And Rand gets a little bit of a smile because he knows Kip reads him pretty well. And they have a bit of a conversation. And it's exactly what Kip expected. Rand's upset that artists got hurt. Right? Because that's that's his job. Right? My job is to keep her safe. In that moment, she almost died. In fact, Kip diving in really quickly reacted a little faster than he did. How would things have gone had Kip not been there? You know, there's been one extra guy there. You know, Rand might have failed and they might have lost artists. Who they all agree, Maven artists were targeted. And that's important. That, that did not slip under under the wheel. They, they noticed that, okay, we were targeted. Now, as soon as we started to show some ability to fight back, they immediately went after the main reasons they were there, which was artists and Maeve. Why? They don't know. Sure, it has something to do with these symbols. But clearly, they were targeted. It's obvious. I told you guys because they figured out as well. And 
Ryan is going on complaining about it and keeps like, listen, it's not that bad. These things happen, so on and so forth. And Rand gets a little, a little bitchy with him, to be honest with you. He's like, he's like, no, I failed, and so on and so forth. Failed. It was my responsibility. And once again, I've let her down. Because in his mind, all he sees are the failures. Going all the way back to that time in the sewers. Once again, I failed her. I promised I'd never do that again. Kind of. And he's sitting there and blah, 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 blah. And he says, it's my fault. Kip, who's leaning against a tree this time, he goes, yeah, you're right. I agree. It's totally your fault. And he says it seriously. He's not being sarcastic. He goes, yes, in this situation, yes. Which kind of shocks Ren because he wasn't expecting that. Ren has always been trying to, you know, say, no, you're fine. But he's like, no, in this situation, yeah, you're right. It was your fault. And it catches uh, catches Rand a little off guard, and he goes, and Kip, you know, kind of steps from the tree and talks to me. He goes, "You're better than this. You're better than you're letting yourself be. You're holding yourself to all these rules that you think have to be followed, and you're not doing what you can do." Now, what you're talking about? Because all this honor crap you keep throwing out. I understand it's important to you and you were raised that way, but you keep trying to fight honorably and, and you're losing. Ran, of course, this this is not just an insult against him, it's against at this point it would be almost against him and his dad. He's a little insulted by that. And he goes, Honor is more than just a set of rules. It's there for a reason. And Kip's like, I understand that. I understand that. But sometimes you're letting it get in the way of what you need to do. During that fight, you tried to block a blow. You could have easily killed that man before he had a chance. You were standing behind him, and in that moment, you hesitated. Not the way you kill somebody. Trained to fight. Stand that. But you're, you're holding yourself back. And Rand disagrees, and of course, he's like, ah, listen, no, 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 I, trust me, my father's hell of a fighter, trained like him, blah, 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 has had no problem, the failing must be me. And Kip says, okay, hold on a minute, and pulls out a knife. And he walks past Rand to a large tree, right? The tree's probably about two feet wide. Feet, you know what I'm talking about. A good-sized tree. He takes his knife, and right at head level, he carves a circle in the bark. He comes, walks back. He goes to walk, walks past Rand and turns around and pulls out his sword. That's Artis, protector. Like, what are you talking about? Protector. He comes at him with his sword. Well, immediately, without him thinking, Rand's sword, he pulls it out really, really quick. Just trained for that, right? Plus, he sees him coming, but it's like, it's like, and they've sparred many times. So his mind's like, oh, he wants to show me some type of sparring thing. Kip comes in, and very quickly, as he's walking forward, he sees that not only does he have a knife, but Kip's also holding his dagger, blade down. Because I've never seen you fight with your dagger before. It's like, no, you haven't. And then steps in and begins melee. Immediately, Rand can tell Kip is pushing harder than normal. Like he is not just sparring, he's trying to get past him. And Rand accepts that challenge in this moment because he's feeling like his father's been challenged. His whole, everything he's raised has been challenged. And he's a little pissed himself about it, a little pissed. And so he's like, yeah, you're not getting by me. And this goes on for several minutes. Now, Ran 
is having to fight a little bit more than he normally does. But he can see that Kip is genuinely trying, and Ran is still better than Kip. He just is. His training, he's better than Kip. And even though Ran's having to struggle a little bit more, and, and Kip's come close to a few times to legit cutting him. These are not sparring weapons. These are regular weapons. He manages to block it each time. A couple times been a little bit closer than you would normally expect Kip to get. And it's not that Kip's way better and he's been hiding it. A, he's not used to fighting Kip two-weapon style, which has definitely changed the way he's had to defend against him and fight back. Playing purely defensive at this point. Protecting Artemis, or fake Artemis, the tree Artemis. After several minutes of finally not being able to get by, Kip's Kip steps back, lowers his weapons, breathing a little heavy. Like, okay, fine. I yield. You win. Ran, smiles a little bit, sword away. And he says to Kip, honor more than just some words. It's a way of, well, that's what he was going to say. The second he went to speak, Kip attacks him again unexpectedly. And Ren does not have time to pull out his weapon. And Kip is coming at him relatively savagely. It's now everything Ren can do. Sorry, Kip's coming at him. It's all that Ren can do to legit block these attacks unarmed. Ren has been taught to fight. As a, as a character, he is a martial artist as well as a swordsman. He's been taught by his father. And in a hand-to-hand -hand combat, he was probably better trained than Maeve. She's got her strength and stuff. But in just hand he he is the better brawler, for sure. I'm not that he's really brawling. And he is able to literally, through hands and blocking the attacks, keep out of being cut, although he, he's come even closer to being nicked a few times. But he's still able to keep Kip from gaining any ground. And now he's really mad. Now Rand's really upset. Because that, that, this is his friend, and there's no need for it to take it this far. While this goes on for literally just a few seconds, because you can imagine 30 seconds of this is enough for anybody, and something bad is going to happen. When Kip finally does, almost like an attack forward, like he's literally almost just does a, uh, almost like a, uh, that's what I'm looking for, desperate, a desperate surge attack. And he throws, he flings his blade at Ran's face and Ran ducks the dagger and then comes in with a sword, but Ran steps in and grabs his arm. He steps right in close to him and he brings his hand up right under Kip's chin. Like if he'd have come up all the way, he could have hit him hard enough that he might have even snapped his neck, could have done some serious damage. And he stops. And they just look at each other for a second. And he puts his hand on Kip's chest and pushes him back really hard. He doesn't, not enough that Kip falls on his ass. He's relatively dexterous. He's a rogue after all. But his, his sword does fall out of his hand because Rand doesn't let it go. He's got his arm and his sword pinned to his side because he stepped in, not letting him. And he pushes him back. Kip comes back, stumbles backwards. Rand just looks at him. He's mad. Enough. You've lost. Stop this. Kip's just staring at him. It's the same smile Kip always does. He goes, did I? 
Rand looks over his shoulder. Kip's dagger is standing dead center in the middle of that circle. And Rand doesn't know what to say. And he turns and looks at Kip. Kip, dusting himself off, walks up close to him, walks up to him and says, You know how to fight. Hands down, you know how to fight. More trained than I am, and you're better than I've ever been. And I even say in some situations, you know how to kill. Have to, you can take a man's life. I've seen you do it. You will. But you're limiting your human. Limiting yourself. You're not willing to win. Sometimes, winning, doing things you're not supposed to. Importantly, winning means doing whatever it takes. You've been trained how to fight. Never truly been trained how to kill. Let me show you. Rand just is staring at that dagger in the circle and he's hearing this and he's like, Yes. Show me. Give smiles. That's where we'll end for today. 10 o'clock. Wow. Got the full two hours today. Please with that. I didn't know I get a full two hours out of today. Again, my goal is not to make it a specific time. I was going to keep it closer to an hour, hour and a half. Uh, just because, again, some feedback people would like the audio versions to be a bit shorter. Um, but uh, that's what we're going to call it for today. Um, the whole Rand Kip thing has had a purpose. I kind of viewed Rand as a character. Um, different than what Juan is as a character, right? Juan was raised by his father, taught how to fight, but then he served as an adult. Then when all that was lost, had to go out in the world and survive right? before he ever got to finally finding mercy. Juan's like one of the oldest of her knights. He's By this point, he's probably in his 50s. Um, and so he taught his son the way that he was taught although he knows a lot. Rand never got to that point where he actually got to grow up and fight with his father against stuff to learn the next step, the actual application. Now gone out into the world. And he's trying to live and fight through mental teachings he received. Kip's going to show him how to use it. With that said, that's all for today's episode. I'm hoping a couple of you enjoyed it. <laughs> if you did, whether you're listening to this today, tomorrow, or 10 years down the road, it would be awesome if you'd consider hitting the like button. Um, next Thursday, there will not be an episode because I have to have dental surgery done and I'll be way too loopy to do a behind the dice. But we will be back with Merged Worlds again the week after that. And we will be continuing where we left off right here. I'll leave on some crazy month-long cliffhanger or anything. We will be continuing with this story uh, for at least part, if not all, of that next time. A lot of things to cover. Carried on. Um, but thank you very much for coming. I appreciate you being here. If you have any questions about Merge Worlds, questions about 
or anything like that that I might be able to help with, any questions about how Merged Worlds works, please feel free to hit me up on my website, onlydraven.com. Link down in the bottom uh, where you can send emails in if you have questions or feedback. You can also, um, on my Discord channel, which is also on the top of my website or down in the, the description area of these streams, you can also jump into our Discord. We have Merge World threads in there. D&D questions, always welcome. Jump on into the Discord. Uh, love to chat with you about it. and Love talking about Merge Worlds. I'd love to hear your questions or cool ideas that you have for D&D that you play. Love to see it. But I'm going to call that a day. So thank you all very much for coming. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. More importantly, I hope you have a safe rest of your month. Because <laughs> it's crazy out there. It's summertime. It's too hot. Wear sunscreen. And hopefully I'll see you again in two weeks for a little bit more Merge World. All right? Great day. <laughs>